Bienvenido de nuevo al podcast Destiny Benders. On the heels of last week's conversation with Francisco about the importance of collaboration in international education, I'm coming to you live from the 32nd annual EAIE conference held at the Fira Barcelona. I'm here with 6,200 international educators from over 90 countries, and I caught up with a few of them, and here's what they had to say. Hi, I'm here with Kristen Agutto, Vice President for Member Relations at ICEP Study Abroad. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Garish. It is so good to see you. Uh, so the podcast, Destiny Benders, we talk to people like you who are in international education, doing some wonderful work. You obviously have been doing some wonderful work over the years. So tell us a little bit about what ICEP does, what you do at ICEP, and then I want to chat more about you. Okay. So ICEP is um, a membership organization, a nonprofit based outside of Washington, D.C. And we have about 350 universities within our membership. We facilitate university level exchanges among the 300 schools in our membership. So we focus on immersion of students into the local culture, into the local classroom and the local community and language learning for those students. Um, we exchange about 3,000 students per year. Our flagship program is an exchange, but we also have fee-paying programs at certain sites within the membership. So I oversee the member relations department, and within that department, my team focuses on the satisfaction of our universities. We focus on member recruitment, university recruitment, university retention, and um, just ensuring that we're giving our universities what they need to internationalize their campuses and giving their students what they need academically. We've known each other for 12 years, yeah, right? And we hang out at every conference. every conference. But I don't know how you got into international education. Oh I don't know where you went to college. I don't oh, know what okay. you studied. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that, that part of okay. it. And when you were in college, did you ever think you're going to be in international education? Okay. I studied at Penn State, the Pennsylvania State University, and I um, majored in international business with a minor in Spanish. And I actually studied abroad right here in Spain at the University of Salamanca in northern Spain. At that time, I thought I definitely, I mean, it opened my eyes to the world. And I thought I'm definitely going to do something in this field. After I graduated, I worked for um, the International Trade department, which is part of the Commerce Department of the U.S. government. But then I got married and that took me to a lot of different places. And so I was living overseas for a while. And when I came back to the U.S., I said, what am I going to do now? And the first thing I thought of was I'm getting back into international education and study abroad. And that's what led me to Washington, D.C. and to ICEP study abroad. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it's unique because a lot of people accidentally get into international education. Mm -hmm. You kind of seem to have an international focus, even from beginning. college, which although commercial services, et cetera, right, right, right. but kind of in the realm. Right. Like growing up, is that what you thought you were going to do? Like, did you have other aspirations? Yeah. Well, growing, no, I did not know that I was going to get into that. Actually, growing up, I really wanted to be a dancer. Okay. <laughs> so I <laughs> That didn't wow, happen for okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> Two left feet? No, I'm just kidding. No, but what happened was when I was at Penn State, what led me to study abroad is that I worked 
I had a work study grant and I worked at the Office of International Education on Penn State's campus. That's what got me to study abroad. I met so many international students from all over the world and then I helped the Penn State students apply to study abroad. And that's how I learned about the program at Salamanca. That's why I studied abroad. I don't think I don't think if I hadn't worked at that in that office, I don't know that I would have studied abroad. Yeah. So such a chance happening, it, it right? Was. Just to be in that. Yeah, and, in that atmosphere. Yeah. So you pretty much spent your entire college and professional career, career in this field, facilitating this international. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious in your years of experience. What's changed, especially post-COVID, all the challenges that we went through, but what has changed? Or has anything changed at all? Oh, yes, there's definitely been some changes. I mean, post-COVID, ICEP was able to weather the storm, you know, for a couple semesters. Um, it was challenging financially. It was challenging emotionally. But um, we held on, and our membership was really strong. They were, they were dedicated to staying within ICEP. They continued to pay their membership dues. We helped out universities that couldn't pay their dues. And we came out on the other side stronger than we had been. So during the pandemic, we really had to adapt. And um, we started to offer some virtual exchanges. Um, We got into faculty engagement and started doing some training on COIL courses. And we're continuing that. But over the last semester or two, our number, mobility numbers have really rebounded. I think students were very eager to yeah, get back yeah, sure. and see the world. Yeah. So yeah, there's been changes, but I feel like we came out even more resilient and stronger than we had been. That's awesome. So where do you see uh, international education going, especially short-term programs? Is that the future? Are things changing? What do you predict five years from now? And what's technology doing in all of this? So I think that where technology is definitely coming into play, especially for ICEP, is with this new faculty engagement program that we've gotten into in the last couple of years, because students that, even though the pandemic is over, students, there are some students who can't study abroad in person. So we are helping faculty learn how to create online courses and partner with each other, international U.S. faculty or global faculty work together and create courses that they can teach together. So students online, so students who are not able to study abroad in person will still have this opportunity. Um, So I think that's going to continue, you know, even though the pandemic's over, not that we're going to continue with virtual exchanges. I think that, I think the short term is going to continue to grow and not just for U.S. students. We're also seeing international students wanting more short term, which is a newer trend. But I think you're always going to have the, especially for international students, you're always going to have them wanting to come into the U.S. for a semester or a full year. Personally, I would like to keep the U.S. students in that amount of time, too, because that's really, really where they develop their language skills and really get cultural cultural, and then get to know themselves better. Absolutely. Well, you do some amazing work, but the podcast is about destiny bending, where we talk to people about people who've come into their lives and changed their lives, and also people who you have changed because of the work you're doing. I'm sure there are thousands of stories you can offer in terms of folks that you've like really bent their destinies. But I'm curious, who along the way in your career, if you can think of one person that really made an impact on you, and help guide you and changed your life or bent your destiny, 
to do what you're doing, where you're going, all the success you've had? Well, I can think of two people, probably. One, I mean, one would be, I guess, the staff that I worked with at Penn State, just the global education staff who really inspired me to study abroad and to gave me confidence that I could achieve that. And secondly, Penelope Pines from UNC Greensboro was really influential. She was the SIO, at, she's retired now, but she was sort of a mentor to me and an advocate for me. And um, she kind of in, kept me going along this path. And I, I really owe a lot to her and I appreciate her mentorship. I remember that um, when I was placing students and I was working more closely with students several years ago, I placed a couple, um, a boyfriend and girlfriend from Argentina into Clemson University in the US. They were graduate students. They studied for a full year as graduate students at Clemson. Then they extended and actually both of them received their graduate degrees from Clemson. One was a math major, one was engineering. And then based on their study program, they actually stayed for another year in the U.S. and did academic training, in both in their fields. And then they decided to um, stay in the U.S. Yeah. They got married. They stayed in the U.S. They're still here. Yeah. They have kids that are like teenagers now. Yeah. And I was in touch with um, one of them not that long ago, and he said, I contacted him on LinkedIn, and I said, do you remember me? You know, yeah. And he's like, of course I remember you, you're why I'm here. And I was just like overcome yeah. with joy to hear yeah. someone say that to yeah. me. Like, that's why I'm in the US, that's why I have this job at NASA. He works yeah. at NASA. Wow. So that, ha seeing that, yeah. you know, what, what you can, you don't realize the impact you have on other exactly. people yeah. and on students and how you open their worlds. So hearing about that, yeah. It just, it really, heart yeah, heart, right? it does. Yeah. So international matchmaking also yes, exactly. is part of your title. Hi, I'm uh, here with Dr. Ogun Cicek from Dokuz Elul University in Izmir, Turkey. Ogun, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm glad we're able to connect here. Um, so like I was saying, our podcast is Destiny Benders. We love talking to people who have been in the international education space and doing some wonderful things. So if you could just tell us a couple of things about you, your background, how did you get into what you're doing now that you're in international education? Maybe a brief you know, story about how you got to where you are. This is really a tough question for me. I have to summarize the last 30 years in, in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, but as an academics, uh, I, I truly feel that I'm an international educator and networker and ambassador of higher education. I worked for last 30 years in and all around the globe, uh, starting from Turkey, then the Cyprus, Dubai, Singapore, Switzerland, UK, US, and now back to Turkey again. Uh, so this really gave me, gave me an exposure of the international flavor and partnerships, colleagues, networks, and achievements. So proud to be really in this field. We keep learning each other uh, day by day. We had this vast experience of pandemic last two, three years, we all struggled. But now I'm really happy to see that really we are getting back to normal and people are really meeting and trying to catch up and, and proceed from there to the future. So now I am in a new phase. I moved to Izmir, start a new uh, position at the University of Tokuzelil. And I'm happy it's like my second cycle and trying to be international as well. So thanks to all. Awesome. 
Wonderful. So I'm assuming you didn't go to college to be in international education, right? Nobody really does that. People just do a lot of things and they find themselves in international education. So tell me a little bit about your college experience and what did you study and what was your professional career like before you got into this? Yeah, I think yeah, you are right, I guess. When I was studying, I did a business and tourism studies in bachelor and master's. Uh, to be honest, I, I worked in the industry during the internship or after the uh, after finishing college, but I, I didn't find it myself there, you know. So I said I have to continue the uh, academic degree and then become an academics. So I did my PhD, and then I find myself in the university. And since then, I have been working. But now I'm really happy. If I come back again and start from scratch. I would be an academics, yeah, yeah. definitely. That's well, I mean, I, we find our path in so many different ways. So, like I said, the podcast is Destiny Benders, which we talk to people about things that, or people they've met who have really bent their destinies or changed their lives. So, as you look back at your 30 plus year career, can you think of a person or a couple of people who are so influential in your life who maybe helped you kind of figure out where you want to go, what you want to do? Yeah, thank you. I think that's important. I would say at least in these 30 years, at least two, three people, yes, did that. I'm inspired and really uh, they were uh, very meaningful and valuable and, and important for me. Uh, they were Some of them were my uh, boss, let's say director level. Some of them was my colleagues, peers, and some of them friends. So this really happens. But to be honest, uh, as moving from one country to another and one university to another, I try to find my way by myself mostly. But in between, these two, three people gave me some maybe uh, direction or level up or shift, whatever we call it. So that really brings me here now. And, and I'm happy we're here at EAIE, all about international education. I'm sure you've been having a lot of meetings talking to people about uh, partnerships with your institution. What do you kind of see where things are going with international education, specifically with your institution or just broadly speaking and from your experience? Absolutely. This is the first time after the pandemic the conference exhibition is taking place. It's amazing. It's really very crowded and for me it's overcrowded. They say this is the one of the uh, biggest one, like 4,000 people or so, uh, online and on-site. So it's really amazing. And what I find in these last three, four days of discussions and meetings and visits, uh, it's picking up. And we are really getting back to normal, as I said. People are very much enthusiastic and excited and, and optimistic and trying to get more collaboration. Because during the COVID, we understood that uh, we need people we need partners we need someone who can take care of us and even we, we are limited excess who can care for us or help us in any way so therefore including the education it did not really stop in most part of the world uh, thanks god we managed to go online but now we are really getting ready for the future direction which is the blended learning and most of the international uh, education higher education institutions are trying to adapt their infrastructure and their faculty members and the resources, everything, the methodologies. The curriculum is changing. Uh, the patterns are changing. Partnerships are changing. So lots of online and, and easy access to higher education is there. And diversity and variety, and new programs, new collaborations, all these are fabulous. And I think this is the future of higher education. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Thank you, Olga. And it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for uh, spending a couple of minutes with our audience here. Thank you very much. Likewise, it's my pleasure and honor, really. Hi, I'm here with uh, Jennifer Longcar, VP of Strategy and Partnerships at Net Natives. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so good to see you again. Um, so as we always do in this podcast, we're kind of curious as to who you are, how did you get into international education? I know you're on the periphery of education, so tell us a little bit about you, what you do for currently at Net Natives, but more importantly, how did you end up in international education? So it's funny because international has a special place in my heart. Um, I got into international education about nine years ago, actually through CIS, Council of International Schools, uh, my first conference over there. And um, I've been in higher ed marketing for some going on my 14th year. I was at a, a prior organization for 13 years, but just came on board at Net Natives about a year ago and oversee all new business in the U.S. that has to do with any type of marketing, research, creative, um, and that includes international. So um, everything we do is around enrollment, driving enrollment for schools, including international. I think that the international piece, I think, is so important to me and why I fell in love with it because although they do bring in a lot of revenue for each university, international students, I think international recruitment doesn't get the attention that it deserves or the budgets that it deserves to bring in those students. So it makes it a little bit harder for schools to go out and find new and creative different ways to get in front of these students and they have so many choices. So I think that's the thing that I'm always drawn to. That makes sense. Cool. No, it does. So I do have to ask you this. You know, when we're talking about education, international education, universities, ecosystems, and all of that, it's a lot about educating students. But you're on the side of the equation, which is about monetizing, if I can say that, or revenue generation. It could be seen as the dirty side of the business, <laughs> right? I mean, the no offense side. here. The dark. Okay, I'm sorry. The dark side. <laughs> Right. So, but tell me, but obviously there's a need for it. Uh, universities need to be sustainable and tuition revenue is a big deal. And it's everything almost in many cases. So tell me a little bit more about being on the dark side. Okay. <laughs> so it's really not as bad on the dark side as you think it is. Um, and believe it or not, I think that most of us, I would say a big number of us and most of us are in it because we're doing something for the greater good, right? We're helping students in the long run. The end game is to help universities get in front of students, get them to recruit students. So in the end game, you're actually helping the students get to school. So at least that's what we like to tell ourselves. <laughs> I think that, you know, gone are the days that we can rely on agents and travel and all of that. And COVID really also put such a hiccup in it that, and now students are everywhere. They're on, they're online 24 seven, they're on every device. And so as an institution in the incredible competitive landscape that we have in higher education, you have to be present everywhere. You don't have a choice. You can't just rely on the way that we used to do things and word of mouth and hope that you're going to get students. So whether whatever medium it's through, whether it's through Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or Google, students are on all of those. And so to, it's my job to educate schools on what they need to do and how to have a global brand presence in front of these students. And I think the other thing with international that makes it really fun for schools is that 
it's really such a wide open market. And you could be, I always use the example, you could be a tiny little school out in the middle of Kansas or Oklahoma. Nothing wrong with Kansas. (laughs) Or Ohio or whatever. But if you have a brand presence in front of these students, they don't, they don't care. You could be the best thing since sliced bread and they're going to look into your institution. And so really it's just getting your brand and your name in front of these students over and over and then really talking to them. And obviously then you can go a lot deeper in terms of your value messaging and your value prop and what you have to offer them. But the first step is just brand recognition and starting that conversation. And then we get into, you know, once that conversation started, then you lean on your great admissions counselors that you have to bring in these students and talk to them about why they need to come there. So that's the part to me I could talk all day about. Super fun. Yeah, I know you seem to be passionate about it. I agree with you. Printing brochures is passe. (laughs) But universities are still doing that. Let's talk a little bit about you. Right. You got into it accidentally. Right. Not like you didn't go to college thinking you're going to be international education, digital marketing guru. So tell me a little bit more about your high school, college. How did you kind of, you know, what what were you thinking when you were going to college, et cetera? And then I also want to talk about people who've been in your life that have kind of, because the podcast is about destiny benders, who people come into your lives to kind of bend your destinies. Sure. So, yes, no, I didn't, I didn't go to college for higher ed. I didn't work in the admissions office. Um, although now I go back, I'm like, oh, I wish I did. And my daughter is actually um, working in the admissions office at Colorado State University. And I'm like, uh-oh, are we going to have a higher ed? This is how it starts, right? Um, no, I was actually elementary education. I was going to be a teacher and um, got out, ended up finishing my degree. I changed majors, ended up finishing my degree in applied behavioral sciences, which is kind of a cross between psych communications and business, which has actually been wonderful in this industry. But I really got into doing, I was doing some consulting on the K through 12 side for software implementation. And I would go out and I would teach these tech people and librarians how to use the software that they would buy at the district-wide level. And every time I came back, I would say, why you need to show them this, you need to show them this, they want to buy this and this and this. And they said, have you ever thought of going into sales? And I said, I'm not a salesperson. And they said, well, you're doing a really good job. So it was really funny. I kind of got sucked into doing software sales on, on the K through 12 side of things for Follett, um, for Follett education. And then, um, you talk about someone who, you know, changes your life. My good friend, um, I would call him like slash mentor, good friend. We're still good friends. He's in higher education as well. Matt Summer, he works for Mainstay, was working at Carnegie uh, Communications back in the time and actually called me up and said, I have this job that would be perfect for you. And it's all about relationships and people and you just meet with these higher ed people. I think you'll get along with them. And, you know, you talk to them about things that can help them bring in students. And this was back in, you know, 2009, a while ago, but wait, right when digital was just a glimmer. Um, And so that's kind of how I got into the higher ed space and have never looked back. It's just been a niche for me. And I just think that I still don't consider myself a salesperson. I still will say that I'm a people person and I enjoy these relationships and, you know, getting to know people. And I think I've made so many friends and contacts over the years. It would really be hard to get out of it at this point. And at the end of the day, you're a lifer now. I'm a lifer. And at the end of the day, like I said, I tell myself, that we're all in it for the greater good, right? Well, tell me a little bit more about that. You alluded to it a little bit earlier about what we're doing. Yeah, it's on the dark side, but at the end of the day, it's about helping students. So 
tell me a little bit more about how your day-to-day -day work and what you're doing, where you see you're maybe bending other people's destinies, most probably these students that are using your tools or whatever they're using to find their journeys. Well, I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, it is about that at the end of the day, right? But I see the universities as more of like my babies, I guess, if you will, right? I'm very, I'm one of those people, if you ask anyone, they'll always tell you, Jen is probably the most passionate person for her clients that you'll ever find. I will, I will a thousand times go to bat for them and nothing makes me sadder when I read about a university closing its doors or I hear about a university that's in trouble and they just can't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, in the U.S. especially, we're in trouble with the enrollment cliff that's coming and everything that we're facing. We're going to see a lot more of it, unfortunately, and that's just heartbreaking to me. So if there's anything that I can do to be a champion for these schools to help them bring in this class, and then at the same time, you know, I just, I mentioned my daughters uh, at CSU, having gone through this process and been on the other side of the table two years ago, that was eye-opening for me to actually see what these schools are doing, what they're sending out, how they're talking to students, and I think, you know, nobody, I think we all forget, and myself included, we all get so heads down in our jobs that we forget what we're doing. And when we're talking to these students, this is a huge life decision for them. This is a huge piece of their family's pocketbook. This is a major investment. So to try to just sell them to make your number, just to sell them into your school just to make your number, that's not what we're here for, right? I would much rather have a school say, you know what, this student's not right for us, but they would be right over here. And you're gonna find a really good fit at this university. We'll forego this student because they belong over here. That's what we really should all be doing. I, you know, we do share a lot of information in this industry, which is great. I think we help each other a lot. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. Enjoy the rest of the conference and I'll see you at the next one. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. I'm here with Clark Hortzing from Guard.me International Insurance from Canada. Clark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Clark, we're always curious, how does somebody get into the insurance business, especially in the international insurance business? What does Guard.me do? So Guard.me International Insurance is the largest insurer of international students in Canada. Uh, we also have an international presence. We work in the EU and in the UK as well. Okay. Cool. Sounds interesting. So are you an international educator that went into insurance or an insurance guy that came into international education? No, the first way. I okay. am an international ed guy that it went into insurance. I spent 18 years at York University in Toronto, Canada, working in international. I was an international student advisor. I was the manager of study abroad and finished as the associate director of the international portfolio for the university. Wow, that's a storied career. So what got you into insurance then? Um, probably uh, looking around thinking I had done what I wanted to do at the university and what was I going to do for the next part of my career. And uh, I had met our uh, founder and owner, Keith Siegel, a few times. And so I approached him and said, Hey, I think we could grow our grow your business in the university sector and in the college sector, and I think I am a person to do that with you. Very cool. All right, so I'm assuming when you were back in college, you weren't thinking I'm going to go into international education or that I'm yeah. going to go sell insurance. So tell me about that a little bit. How did you get into international education in the first place? 
Um, so, uh, as I said, I was at York University and I did some work for the university in student services. And uh, I did my undergraduate degree in anthropology, in cultural anthropology. Okay. Um, and uh, thought, oh, maybe I'll go into teaching or, you know, be a researcher or something. Sure. And, and then as I started working in student services, I realized just how much fun it was. You know, it really is an incredibly dynamic place to work uh, and a vibrant place to work, a university education environment. I was working in student services. I was actually running the homestay yeah, yeah. program, yeah. you know, for the university, helping, yeah. helping students find places to live. Yeah. And the international student advisor at the time said, I think you have the aptitude for this. I want you to come and work with me. And really, that's what began. And through the years, it just became really a satisfying experience. You realize the kind of impact you're having, you know. It, I have a wonderful story I'd like to share, Please, if Sam. you're okay. Um, about eight years after I left the university, maybe, no, probably more like, yeah, eight or nine years. Anyway, yeah. I'm on the subway platform in Toronto, and I hear someone yell my name. Yeah. And he was one of the students that I helped years before. He was having trouble, you know, the family was on uh, politically on the wrong side of the, of the leadership in one of the countries he was from, and yeah. so they froze the family assets, and he didn't have money to pay tuition, and I helped him work out a plan and got the university to agree with it. And he's walking over with his, his uh, six-year-old yeah. daughter. And he says, I want you to meet Mr. Clark. Yeah. He's the reason you're here. Yeah. And it really was quite touching, you know. And, and he talked to his daughter about how he almost didn't finish school. Yeah. And if I hadn't helped him, nobody was willing to do anything for him. And he's now, you know, Canadian. He yeah. stayed in Canada. He went to the Osgood Hall Law School. He, you know, he's a yeah. practicing lawyer. And he says to his six-year-old, yeah. this, this is, is why you're here. Yeah. And, and that's why I do what I do. Well, that's an amazing story. And that's the whole concept behind the podcast. It's destiny benders. People like you who change people's lives. Right. So um, I can see you're getting a little sentimental just sharing yeah, that story, right? Because you think about it. Yeah. Um, if you were to think about your own life and your journey, who has been a part of your life that's changed your destiny or that's bent your destiny? I think actually one of the jobs that I had at York, it, there are so many, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and one of the jobs I had at York University was I was the uh, Beatle. Yeah. And the Beatle, that's B E A D L E. Okay is someone who carries the mace in okay. uh, for all the official ceremonies of the university. Oh, okay. so, so I participated, not only did I work with students, I participated in every one of their graduations because sure. I was the Beatle. Oh, okay. But the Beatle also does all the, all the uh, major honorary degrees. Sure. And so I've met world leaders. Uh, you know, I, I met and spoke to Nelson Mandela. I met and spoke to the president of Greece. I met, um, you know, our Canadian astronauts, Steve wow. McLean and Mark Garneau, had dinner, had lunch with them. And, and I think it was that kind of exposure which um, made me really think, I want to stay in this. I want to be in this. And I want to work with people from around the world. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. So there's... Is there one? No, it's so many. And, and, and students that you meet, like the, the one I mentioned, but, but hundreds more just like them that, 
you know, that come here, come here, come to Canada, yeah. build a life, yeah. you know, and change the their trajectory and their family's yes. trajectory. Their uh, communities. Their whole community. Yeah. 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 So, really is so is that what keeps you in international education, albeit outside of the education sector? Insurance is important, all of that stuff. What yeah. keeps you in it? What do you see the next five years for you, for our industry, for our field? COVID's been hard for everybody. Um, so it's really exciting to be here in Spain and Barcelona and seeing the energy again. And so for me, what was difficult about the last two years... Yeah. Uh, two and a half years of COVID was uh, it's such a dynamic industry and such a dynamic field and vibrant. And part of that's because you're always with people. Like-minded people. Like-minded people too. And so uh, COVID was tough because it it was your screen, you know, and you had to make the energy come out of that, that flat screen. You can't suck energy from screens. (laughs) No. So, so for me, what, what do I see? I, you know, I mentioned Nelson Mandela and, and uh, you know, he spoke that education, he always said education is the best weapon in the world, eradicating yeah. ignorance. Yeah. Um, I think we got to keep doing this. Yeah. We got to get people moving around the world. We've got to have people exposed to other cultures because it's only in that way that you question yourself yeah. and, you, and you question your assumptions yeah. and all of those things. And so, uh, you know, that's going to keep me here. Yeah. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> and people say, oh, you know, do you want to retire? I don't want to retire. Yeah. I'm having too much fun. Yeah. Really yeah. is uh, okay. a lot of fun. And it's the, I think it's the only way we're going to make things like, you know, the war likes going on in the Ukraine right now. You know, how do we stop things like that? We, Global understanding. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Well, Clark, it's what a pleasure. Thank you for sharing some time with us and for sharing your story. Keep doing the great work. Thank you for being a part of the podcast and enjoy the rest of the AIE. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me to be part of it. Absolutely. And that's a wrap from Barcelona. Gracias por escucharnos. Make sure you join us again next week when Jessica and I introduce you to yet another Destiny Bender. Thanks, Garish. Next week, we speak with Samir Zaveri, President and CEO of BMI Global, who shares with us some exciting news and details how the infamous NAFSA Brazil party got started. Join us. Join us.